things. They said, you know, I, I try to make sermons that are for everybody. So everybody has something in the sermon. And they said, well, you know what? Sometimes sermons are just for one person. Sometimes a sermon doesn't hit you the right way. It's not for you. It's for someone else who needs to hear it. Sometimes God works just that way, one-on-one. And so it's okay if this isn't your thing, if John's not your type of gospel that you're really into, and that's all right. But I hope that we can learn something from each one of the types that can help us to be better disciples and understand each other a little bit better. still encourage you to take that 22-question little quiz out there. It's not going to change your world. But it's very interesting. People take it several times and told me, well, I keep changing every time I take it. That's great. That means you're exploring yourself. You're exploring those questions. If the online version is like the paper version, then what you might find too is that the questions on the paper version, all of the first questions are Mark, all the second ones are Matthew, all the third ones are Luke, and all the fourth ones are John. So if you're really having a struggle with where you might be, Go back and look at the quiz and see where the questions are and you might figure out that maybe Matthew was two points different. Because what I learned in the paper quiz was maybe your other type is just right around the corner and it just kind of pops out over there. So that's happened too, people who are doing it. But I hope you're having fun with it and I'm starting to build this whole kind of community understanding of who we are and I'm excited about that. So let's, let's explore John today and see what the Gospel of John has to teach not only John's but others as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, may you uh, give us the words that we need to hear this morning to our hearts. This sermon is personalized for each person here in their own way. Maybe it's even words I don't even say, but words you want to speak into us. Let's be open to that in the presence of your Spirit. Pour into the words that I have put together and that you have helped me with and that Michelle has brought to us as well and that we might be able to use them for your glory and your goodness. So bless this time we have together to learn one-on-one, more about what it means to follow you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, and everybody both at home and here on site said, Amen. Welcome to follow along with the U version. have all the notes there for you, and be able to see all those things as well. So let's go now into looking at John. And one of the things I have to admit about looking at John is, I have a hard time reading John. Anybody else have a hard time reading John that it's, it's hard to, to sometimes figure out what is... Yeah, Carolyn says, yep, I'm all over that. It's hard. It's a lot of statements going on at the same time, and it's all kind of like over here somewhere, really heady kind of stuff. Maybe it's because Mark is just easier and shorter, and as Davis told us, just the facts. And Matthew has all the flowery details that I love so much, including one of my favorite stories of the Magi. What would Christmas be without the Magi? An epiphany, of course. But what do we do with John? And when I thought about that, and I keep saying that word, and I was thinking about last night was, it just reminds me of the sound of music. And the sound of music, the, one of the big songs is, what do you do with a problem like Maria? What is the problem like John? John's so different. John's over here doing something while the Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are over here doing their own thing, and you know it has no idea, and he just it doesn't fit in. It doesn't fit into the to the group. So what do you do with John? I mean, John is, begins with in the beginning was the word, right? That's how John's gospel begins. There's no birth story. There's no magi. There's no genealogy even. 
Everything from the very start in John is directing us towards learning from and listening to and being shaped by the Word, capital W. And in the world in which John lived, the Word represented wisdom. And in John's gospel world, Jesus, the Christ, is the Word made flesh. And so the Jahanian disciples' journey is all about gaining access to that wisdom through mentoring. And by whom? By the Master himself, of course. You see, John's gospel is strikingly different from the three other gospels another way, too. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. Say synoptic. It's very good. Press your friends with that. I'm reading the synoptic gospels. Just press that. They'll think you're reading something really weird or something like that. Synoptic actually means seen together. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are to be seen together because they are drawing from the same places. But over 90% of the Gospel of John is not present in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. And there are many things that are in there, which isn't much, that are very different in how they're presented and the characters that are only appear in John's Gospel in those similar stories. And the last striking difference is how much time Jesus spends in conversation with different characters in John only. You see, in the other Gospels, Jesus often interacts with the crowds. But in John, it is mostly a one-on-one moment happening again and again and again. And we see that starting off in John 3, where Jesus has a secret night encounter with the Jewish teacher, Nicodemus. And it's here that we get what we could call the Gospel in Miniature. John 3.16. We all know John 3.16. And so here we have one teacher instructing another teacher who is very confused about seeing this new reality of God that is before him. Then it's on to the woman at the well. In John 4, Jesus meets her where she is engages her in her life situation, teaches her who he is, and then authorizes her to share the word with others. Or even in scenes like John 11, where he raises Lazarus, Jesus is moving from one person to the next to engage them in broadening their understanding of what is possible in God's reign. You see, he meets Martha first. And then he confronts her understanding of mortality and all these scriptures are floating up there in front of you. They're also in your app. By teaching her the reality of resurrection. Go ahead. Thanks. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would have died when you get to Mary. So Mary's very different. Mary understands who he is through her worship, but also recognizes that her emotions are overwhelming her right now and he just needs to be present with her. And so you see here the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And then you see a verse that I use very often when I'm doing a celebration of life, see how much he loved him. And then he moves to Lazarus. 
And Jesus brings just what he needs. Literally, the words of life, Lazarus, come out. And even Jesus' interaction with Pilate is more intimate. Jesus and Pilate pause to have a conversation that Pilate speaks to us on what definition of truth is in the middle of his impending crucifixion. That's nowhere else. And then the conversation between Jesus and Peter at the lakeshore we first talked about at the very beginning of the sermon series and alluded today in that prayer. It's one of my favorites. It's a very one-on-one story of the continuation of the same pattern you find throughout John's Gospel. One-on-one. And then the scripture for today really focuses one-on-one. When you see that Jesus is talking to Peter. And Peter's concerned about everybody else. Jesus is only concerned about Peter. Forget what John's doing. Peter, you need to follow me. Not what somebody else does. So in every case, Jesus meets us one-on-one and takes us to the next needed step to deepen our faith. Jesus also expects us not to stay in the same place as when we came to Him, but to have progressed in some way in our faith. He expects transformation. We don't always rise to that reality, but at least we've been invited into that place because for Jesus Growth is everything. For me, I would label myself as a grow pastor of all the words that we have. Connect, grow, serve, go. I'm a grow pastor. The hardest thing over the last seven months is not being able to use those gifts to help people grow. Because all we can basically do is just connect. And that's hard enough. And so grow is everything. Johannian disciples then see these kinds of intimate exchanges as the ones that are most likely to result in growth because they can be personalized to a particular person in a particular setting in which growth is needed. Helping people one-on-one is one of my favorite things to do that I don't get to do very often. People muddle around in their own problems and sit there and spin and just never get out of it. And I was talking to somebody this week and an opportunity and, and help out. And they're like, wow, you're really good at this. And I'm like, well, God gives me the, the power to do this. This is the whole point. This is one of my gifts. To be able to help somebody to work through whatever it is they're going through to help them to grow. So this is the gospel where Jesus strips down and washes the disciples' feet in John 13. You ever had your feet washed? It's an intimate experience. Even when you're prepared for it. But one time, I was at a foot washing, which they didn't tell you you were going to have a foot washing, so you weren't even prepared for it, so you couldn't make sure your stinking feet were all cleaned up and ready to go. You want to see some humbleness, go to that level of doing it when you're not all put together. One time we did a foot washing and the power went out. We lost the power, a storm was raging outside and we lost the power in the church and we're there in the darkness, the lightning flashing and we're washing feet. That was powerful. It's a very intimate experience. 
see, we're invited to Jesus' life in a much more profound and private way in John's Gospel than any of the others. Perhaps we see this most clearly in Jesus' relationship with the beloved disciple. The disciple is never named, but he's present among the twelve. And since the Gospel traditionally is believed to be written by John, the youngest disciple of Jesus, most readers simply assume the beloved disciple is John. We don't really know. The references to the disciple Jesus loves start in chapter 13, where the beloved disciple is reclining on Jesus' chest while they are at supper, and as the arrest and the crucifixion of Jesus is imminent. This is a painting from hundreds of years ago of just that kind of moment. And then the beloved disciple was present at three additional scenes towards the end of the gospel. He's at the crucifixion when Jesus makes his mother and the beloved disciple family. The only disciple he makes family. And after Mary Magdalene announces the resurrection, the beloved disciple beats Peter to the tomb. And then during the final fishing in the lakeshore scene, he is there. So for followers that are shaped by John's gospel, there may be a desire to be loved as much by Jesus as this disciple is loved by Jesus. Johannian's disciples seek an intimate connection with Jesus. Johannian's desire a closeness that comes from personal instruction from Jesus and those who teach about Jesus. You might be a John if you're always attending some kind of seminar or learning more about things or trying to, to get deeper into your faith or listening to great teachers or other sermons or other places or whatever. That's a John thing to do, to be attending and being a part of more experiences of learning, of growing. See, now Matthew contains the bulk of Jesus' teaching, but John contains the most unique teaching. From Jesus. And the teaching Jesus does in John is distinct because he spends the bulk part of his time teaching about himself. While in Matthew, as we saw, Jesus tends to explain the law or teach about the kingdom of heaven. In John, though, we learn about who Jesus is rather than what Jesus knows. And so Jesus teaches about himself through the I am statement. Say, I am. I am. I am is a personal word. I am. I am something. This is how John teaches. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I assure you that I am the gate of the sheep. That I am the good shepherd when we're favored that I am the resurrection and the life, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, that I am the true vine. These seven statements help to define who Jesus is. Provider, protector, the one through whom God and God's truth is ultimately revealed. Jesus then is the ultimate example for us to follow. And since He is the way, we, path we follow as disciples is to listen fully to Him and live as fully like Him as we can. Amen? Johannian disciples look directly at the example of Jesus 
and they let that guide their path. He is all they need for instruction. And His instruction comes to us through deep knowledge and study of His life through Scripture and through the lives of others who model Him well. You see, the love expressed, though, in John's Gospel, though, is a very different kind of love that we're used to because basically it's a love each other, but others not so much. What do I mean by that? Well, if you look in the Gospel of John, there's a sharp distinction between those who are in the family of God and those who are not, starting all the way from the prologue in chapter 1. You see, the first chapter acknowledges the word, Jesus, is the light for everyone, but that some will reject him and those who reject him will not be in the family of God anymore. Because see, in John, a family is defined not by blood, but instead by belief. That's the word we hear again and again, John, you must believe to believe. And so Jesus is more personal in John when he calls his disciples friends, children, brothers, Sisters, but those words are primarily reserved for the disciples. Go back and look through John again and you'll see that. And when Jesus gives the new commandment in John, it is given only to those who are present just before he is arrested. And guess who is not there right before he's arrested? Who's not there? Who? Judas, Betty, Judas. Judas is not there when he says these words in John. Other Gospels, he dips into the cup before he leaves. Not in John. He's saying this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love each other, as in when you love each other as disciples. But notice that John's Jesus does not tell his disciples to love the unknown other. It's a closed system. And this closed system of love in John, which is lived out by Johannians, is something Matthians would also be comfortable with. But Lucans, it would drive absolutely crazy because everyone should have a place at the table. And even Markins probably the same way. Then we also hear in John this, that he is the exalted one. In fact, maybe if you've read John before, you, you kind of feel like when you're reading John, like Jesus is kind of just gliding over the earth, just kind of going from place to place and saying all kinds of pithy statements and then going somewhere else. You never really see his humanity in that way because he's always spouting all this really deep stuff and then he goes somewhere else. Well, there's a reason for that. You see, John is doing that because he's trying to show us that Jesus is set apart from us as Lord. He's not our best buddy and friend. He's our God. And there's a difference. Unlike the synoptic Gospels, which tend to describe the crucifixion in tragic terms, like when you read the other Gospels, we're just hurting for Jesus because He has to die in this way, and all this happens. In John, that is not what happens. John describes Jesus' crucifixion as exaltation. As the author of John repeatedly uses the Greek word hypso. Say hypso. You sound great. Go use on your friends. I learned a Greek word today. May I be saying it right? Just say it with authority. It's okay. That word means exalted or lifted up. That's what John talks about. 
Not only is the crucifixion the fulfillment of the will of God, it's the greatest moment in Jesus' lordship ever. It is not something to be sad about. It's the best moment of his entire life for John. It's what has to happen in this hierarchy. That Jesus is above us and that he connects to God. And so Johannian disciples do not see anything wrong with well-defined hierarchies. Because hierarchies provide a clear stairway to reach Jesus Christ, the exalted one, who is much higher on the ladder than any of us. And everyone is climbing the ladder to Christ, John's would say. And ladders have structurally sound steps. Nobody wants to climb on a ladder which they feel like is rickety and it's not going to hold you. How many times have you gotten on a ladder sometime and thought, is this ladder going to hold me or am I going to fall off this ladder? How many times have you gotten halfway up and, made, and like, did I set it up the right way in the back so those little things are connected the right way or is this whole thing going to come sliding down like Clark W. Griswold during Christmas vacation? Ladders need to be structurally sound and they go up and they go down. But these hierarchies are not designed to be oppressive. But they may feel limiting to Markans or Lucans who might fear that don't tell me to take the next step on this. I don't want to be told which ladder I have to get on or I need to go up to this. I want to have my own ladder. It needs to go like this. I, I want to let the Spirit lead me, not just go up and grab the next rung of whatever somebody tells me it's supposed to be. But they're meant to help people understand there's an orderly and narrow path for reaching Jesus, which John is all about. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It is a very narrow gate that John lays out. And it's orderly. So we can reach Jesus the head of us all. Because we'll never be equal to him. And we shouldn't see him as just being our next brother down the road, our best buddy. John's not all about that. And so then there's some basic types of characteristics that Johns have in common, but of course they live those things out differently. Some of you who are Johns have told me uh, all the different kind of ways. The first thing is Johannians are the standard bearers of Christianity. They pay attention to tradition, in particular to Jesus as the great teacher and the source of all wisdom. No wonder the gospel that's shaping them opens with a proclamation about the word. Not relationship, not a story, not a fact or anything else, but simply something very surreal, the word. Which is also a synonym for wisdom in the Greco-Roman world too. And so Johannians seek growth in that wisdom. And they reform many of their defining characteristics. They reform, they reform them around that. Second, they sit at the feet of the master. A Johanni would practically give anything for the chance to be one of the twelve to have the chance to travel with Jesus for personal instruction. If you've ever thought about the fact of that, what would it be like to be with the twelve, how amazing that would be to be able to walk around and hear Jesus directly, ask those questions in heaven of Jesus you always wanted to ask, to learn from him directly. You might be a John. I would love to do that. In the absence of that experience, Johannians will seek to learn at the feet of people who do a beautiful job of living like Christ. And for this reason, Johannians will seek a church in which the worship service probably centers around the sermon. Or if your pastor is Johannian, he might design the worship service around the sermon. Because that's how it works. 
whatever your pastor might be, is probably how your worship is going to be set up. The third thing is, they are sola scriptura, almost. That just simply means just scripture. And Johannians also tend to be our Bible scholars. They could reproduce the Bible if needed. They might be formal Bible scholars who have an advanced degree like I do. Or they could be more informally trained like some of you who know more about the Bible than me. Many Johannians are our beloved and lifelong adult Bible study teachers who can go toe-to-toe in knowledge with anyone trained. And I would certainly have to, to say that one of the ones that I would think about the most when I just hear that phrase would be our dearly departed brother Lester. If I was going to make a decision about somebody I thought might be John in, in nature, I would definitely think that Lester was high in that list. They are insatiable in their study of Scripture. And because the Bible is a source of so much wisdom for them, they spend significant time in it. And so I also know a young woman, especially like that, especially that I learned that during our confirmation class together. And so I've asked Connie Baker to come up and speak to you this morning about uh, her experiences because she's one of the first youth that sent me back something. And she told me, and she was a John. I was not surprised. After having spent time with her in that more of a one-on-one, closer-knit thing to be able to do that. And so I just wanted to ask Connie just this question about what resonated with you about the the results from your, you know, assessment about John. How did that speak to you, and how does that speak to you now? Well, um, to the people who know me, it it does not come as any surprise that I am a Jahanan because... I love to learn. I love words and phrases. I like facts and numbers. You name it, I like it. So there were a couple things that I noticed when I took the um, test and then I got my results back. I love learning for the sake of learning. It might not make sense to people who aren't Johannans, but whatever you get excited about, like your thing, whether it's a football team or a band, Star Trek, <laughs> That's how excited I get about learning. It doesn't matter if it's completely pointless information that I will never, ever use. I think it's really cool. I learned about Byzantine math. That's cool. A compound complex sentence. Awesome, right? So I would sit and listen to some people talk for hours and just soak in all of their wisdom. So that leads me to the second thing that I noticed in John, which was uh, the mentors. There are a couple people in my life that I have a very special mentor-type relationship with. Um, Shelly McBurney and Debbie Taylor are the two that most come to mind. The best relationships come for me when it's one-on-one. It's customized to your preferences and the way that you learn, the way that you teach, and how how you are in your specific journey with Christ. And so it's a short list of my mentors because I have to trust the mentor completely with everything. Um, one of my mentors was Jared Dorton, the youth minister. But um, Jared left to go. Um, God called him elsewhere. And I'm so glad that Jared has been following God's calling in his life. And I'm super, super, super excited for uh, what Miss Jen, our new youth minister, is going to do here at Good Shepherd. But it was really hard when he left because this mentor that was in my life was suddenly gone. And so another thing about the mentors is that I have to know that you're going to stick around and that you're going to be a part of my life 
for the amount of time that I need you to be. So there's no pressure on that. And then the last thing that I noticed, and it was more kind of even at the end of last service, is the sense of family in John. And family is very important to me, both biological family, and I feel like I have a very strong family here at Good Shepherd because you all have known me since I was a baby. And I love how Jesus is not far away in John. He's so close and tangible. Like I was reading last night in John, and the scripture that I was reading happened to be John 19, 26, which was, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. And the sense that Jesus was taking care of his mama and making sure that he had someone looking out for her and that the blood of the disciple, if that was John, he was the youngest disciple, and he had a motherly figure, and that Jesus was like, All right, I'm just going to put you all together. So that was what I liked about John. Thanks, Connie. So Connie going outside of her box. She's done that several times today in different ways, and so we appreciate the fact is that she was willing to do that. But there's a danger for John's in Scripture too. Perhaps more than any other type, Johannians sometimes cross the line from deep appreciation of the Bible to worship of it. The Bible may reveal indispensable beliefs about God, but it's not actually as holy as God. Wise Johannians remind themselves often of the distinction between the person of Jesus and the words of the Bible. You ever heard the phrase, so heavenly bound, there's no earthly good? You may have known folks like this in your life that can quote every scripture in the Bible, but they don't know how to live into a relationship with other people. And they use the Bible as a battering tool. John had to watch out for that. Fourth, they are lifelong learners. Johannian disciples are never done learning. That's one of the things that spoke to me the most, and obviously Connie as well, is never done learning. I will spend hours looking up something and somebody asks me a question to find the answer and to find multiple answers for something ridiculously stupid or something really important. It doesn't make a difference. They are the ones to make sure no matter what they soak up biblically teaching in their Sunday school teachers every, classes every week, they don't want to miss Sunday school class. They don't want to miss being a part of any learning they can be a part of. The disciples who do that to see the other people are Lucans. Lucans want to come together to see each other and then maybe learn something on the side. That's why probably during this last seven months for Lucans has been the hardest because they can't touch people the same way. They can't have hugs and handshakes and high fives and it's really hard for them and they ask the question, why should I bother to go to church? if I can't touch anybody? That's a Lucan response. The Johns are the saints who want to hear good teaching just because. And so I wanted to ask a secondary John who resonated with that love of lifelong learning and a little scripture added to the side and some mentoring to come up this morning and Jennifer Pete on my staff is the Johannian person that's on my staff with that. Don't you have some of that too? Yeah, Stephanie's also a secondary one, too. We're going to hear her next week. I was going to say, you could come now. I know, eh? she's, got, she's got next week. I'm spreading it out. So what was it about that when you looked at the secondary one, obviously, Markin's your first, and so everything's going to be influenced, and that's the lens that's going to do it. But what about John really spoke to you when you, when you resonated with that? 
Yeah, for me, the mentoring is very much, um, there's a lot of trust that there is, that comes with being mentored and being a mentor. And um, as I was about to hang out um, and sit down with a couple of my spiritual mamas um, earlier this week, the, the word that came to me was vulnerable. When you're in a mentoring relationship, you're vulnerable because it's an accountability time. It's a time of, you know, there's going to be some hard stuff talked about. And, oh, this week was really hard, but it was really good because it's stretching me and moving me forward. So a lot of my mentoring is um, being led by the Spirit. Yes, the marking part. But um, but that's that to me is how I grow and how I learn. Um not only am I being mentored, but I um, encourage people to mentor. And that's one of the things that I love about being in Next Generation Ministry is I get to help mentor the next generation, um, the next generation who are the generation for now in the churches and in the leadership. Um, but that's my encouragement. And it doesn't matter if I'm mentoring someone older than me or younger than me and vice versa. And so... That's very huge. Um, you know, you mentioned how grow is is something, and and um, if you remember the old Toys R Us commercial, I don't want to grow up. I don't want to be a Toys R Us kid, and that, I don't necessarily want that. <laughs> but <laughs> um, especially because it's not around anymore. But I want to grow. I want to be that lifelong learner. I learned many years ago, and I wish I had learned it in my early twenties to be teachable. And be willing to learn new things and be willing to fail and start again. Because if you don't fail, if you try to do it perfect every single time, you're not going to learn from the mistakes and everything. And of course, scripture is incredibly important and and really understanding the scripture. I don't have a theology degree, um, but I have taken many of those courses in something that just again and again is the Holy Spirit teaching and mentoring me through scripture and so it's you've got to be teachable through it as, as well so thanks jen yep. jen johannians take extra classes and all kinds of things they may have multiple educational degrees and multiple subjects they book vacations with an explicit learning component guilty Susan was here first service, and she looked, and we just looked at each other and shook her head. When we go on a trip, there is some kind of learning involved on that trip. You see, when I pose, I just learned this about this. That drives my daughter Hannah crazy sometimes, even though she is a John, uh, but she likes relationships. She's a Luke and John, and so it's very much. We will go the. We go to that museum. We read every single plaque in the museum before we move on. If you do that, then you probably have some John in you. And if you don't, then drive everybody else nuts, then you can see that they're already done, ready to go, and you're still sitting there reading the third plaque. Uh, you do that, see? Oh, step it. No, no, just because the Luke and party is all that. Just look and keep going. So they, they want to put learning to good use, but it's not important to have practical application. They are different in Matthews in that way. Matthews want only to learn things so they can put it to purpose. John's don't really care if they have, can use it or not. So fifth, John's of great expectations, as Connie talked about. They are the Christian standard bearers. They have high standards. John's value the example of great leaders so much they have high expectations for those leaders. They know theoretically they're still human, but they somehow expect them not to be. 
They can forgive a misstep here and there, but repeated missteps, significant sins, will break them and not sit well with them. Because they have these high standards, they're looking for potential faults, which means that Johns can be highly critical of leadership or great support, depending. Johannians will also have high standards for their church. They make less room for errors of people at the table, no matter what kind of errors that might be. That drives Lucans absolutely crazy. And the irony here is that their commitment to high standards also makes them susceptible to taking on unacceptable behaviors. When they get frustrated with how things are going in the faith community, Johannians can get rather insistent about what should happen and they can get very judgy about other people. But there is a great power and usefulness in having people in our church who take their faith so seriously, even when John is probably the least of the four for our church. And the churches should value that. However, Johannians need to remember that there always must be room for other people, many of whom are not perfect, none of whom are perfect, including themselves. And they have a welcoming space that can allow for growth. Because Johannians really love growth, they need to focus on that instead of conformity. But you have to grow like I grow. And last, they are, as Michelle calls them, this weird word, the humble brag. Say, humble brag. I've never heard that word before. Johannian disciples sometimes come off as arrogant, and honestly, some of them are. They feel like they've put in enough work to claim a space for their wisdom, especially if it's in their area of expertise, where they've done a lot of study, and you ask them a question that they've already answered in their mind six days ago. Some Johannians, though, are mistakenly perceived as arrogant, when in actuality, we are seeing an assertion of their high expectations especially around a statement of faith or a creed or a belief. But Johannians have to remember that they are sometimes perceived as arrogant. That honestly is one of the thorns of my flesh for my entire life. Always being perceived as being arrogant when I don't want it to be that way. And so others who interact with Johannians rather than writing them off as arrogant braggarts should take time to dig deeper beneath what they are saying to discover their passion for faith and learning. And then the John spiritual crisis, like all the others, is when the mighty have fallen. How often have we seen a Christian leader fall? And one of the results of that fall was a spiritual crisis among all the Johns who follow them. Because as Connie said, Johns don't always readily extend trust to a leader. When they do put their trust there, it has to hold. I have seen several of my friends over the years who have fallen from the highest places in our denomination to the lowest parts of their life and not even being a pastor anymore. If the leader falls, a Johannian disciple will often question everything learned from that leader. When Bill Hybels had all his problems last year, it was the question of, do you throw all his books out? Do you never say anything about him again? What happens? John Ortberg, also somebody that I've read all of his books and followed him, who just recently had some issues and stepped down as pastor. And they can extend the biblical lessons you've learned from them. And all of this rocks Johannian to their very core when their mentors aren't all that they were supposed to be. So the guard against a fallout like that, Johannians need to remind themselves, and all of us need to remind ourselves, who is actually worthy of worship. We do not worship a pastor. We do not worship a teacher. We do not worship a compilation of scriptures. We worship the triune God who is incarnated as Jesus Christ. Amen? And we all have to keep the main thing, especially John's. Jesus. 
Not anybody else. And not anything else rises to that level. And the Samab Jahanian's work closing is coming to the feet of Jesus. It's directly learning from Jesus. Jahanian disciples mentor others in the faith one person at a time. So is John for you? I would love to hear from you if John resonated with you. And so Markans are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Matheans are action-driven. Lucans are focused on relationships. And Johannians are nurtured by a mentor-apprentice relationship. What kind of disciple might you be? And I would just love if you would let me know because it's just so interesting to, to find out. Literally, when I get an email from someone who sent me what they are or what they feel like they're resonating with, I am as giddy as a schoolboy because I love to learn. So when you give me something more to learn, then that's just like giving me a piece of candy. So if you, haven't done, if you have done it, haven't sent it to me, please send it to me. And if you haven't done it, take a chance. Do it. Send it. I'd love to see it. I'm building this whole, you know, the church together as a community, and I want you to be a part of that. So we can get everybody in there, so I can see everyone together and how our gifts work together. And so we see this invitation as we close out these words from John. Because Christ asks in John if we love him. And if we say yes, he says, then care for one another. This is our opportunity to make a difference, to live lovingly on the frontiers of his bright new world. We cannot promise to do it perfectly, but we can give it a go, relying on his abundant wisdom to take our small love and fit it into the larger pattern of good for all creation. He is the Word, the Word made flesh and dwelt among us. Thanks be to God that we have a God who would come and be with us one-on-one and find a place for us at the table. Amen. We'll close our service today with Jesu, Jesu. Would you stand and worship with me? Jesus.
was on our knees, serving as though we are slaves. This is the way we should live with you. Jesus, Jesus, fill us with your love. Show us how to serve the neighbors we of our friends, silently washing their feet, this is the way we should live with you, Jesus, Jesus, fill us with your love, show us how to serve the neighbors we have from you. I don't know about you, but hopefully by this point in the sermon series, you probably figured out that I was a Matthew and a John. Maybe not in that combination. I'm not really sure what combination it is, but I'd probably say Matthew's first. But our song we did earlier, Come to the Table, talks about what it means to be left out and forgotten, broken. I was a 98-pound kid who never got picked for any team except dead last and was forced to be taken by somebody. I was a kid in school that shut up, smart kids, stop answering all the questions, nobody wants to hear you anymore. But Jesus made a place at the table one-on-one for me. He does it for all of us. He makes a place for each one of us, and he comes to us individually, and he speaks to us where we're at. He spoke that into me as a Christian, and also a call into my life, and he speaks it into you. Take that from John. Jesus wants to be a friend. But more than that, he wants to be a mentor. He wants to teach us how to live our lives better. So may we live our lives better for him and keep our eyes open for God. Watch for his works. Be alert for signs of his presence, for he is our God, a God in charge of the whole earth, the light of the world. And he remembers his covenant to us. For a thousand generations, he's been as good as the word, capital W, made flesh. So go with confidence and joy, knowing that God goes with you. And until we gather again, may the peace and Christ and comfort of love be with you and all of us. And everybody said, both here and at home, amen.